You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former prep course ops superintendent and current special reconnaissance training guru, Trent Segmiller. Do you want to achieve your max? Check out cardomax.com. Owned and operated by former Navy SEAL Sean Madsen. They've got a couple different products that you guys can check out. They've got the Energy Intensifier, which is filled with BCAAs, um, B12, B6, and 200 milligrams of caffeine in four different flavors. Watermelon, grape, uh, pink raspberry, or blue raspberry rather, and pink lemonade. Uh, They also have hydration ones that has a whole bunch of stuff in it, but I, there's no way I'm going to be able to pronounce it because I couldn't even pronounce uh, some other stuff that I did in some prior promo codes. So um, the hydration stuff has raspberry and lemon lime, really good. And then if you need some help with your immune system, they also have immune, immune boosters um, that are in the orange and watermelon. They have a whole bunch of vitamin C and some other things in it to help you out. And they also have a recovery um solution that you can use that comes in a cherry lime and a grape and these have a whole bunch of bcaas and vitamins and vitamins in it as well so please go check them out um their stuff tastes really good i really enjoy it um you know i try and tailor back from the caffeine a little bit just because uh, i find myself just dumping a whole bunch of packets in there because they taste so good. So it's nice to kind of get a variety pack, if you will, because um, at least I can try the um, energy intensifier in the morning or kind of when I'm dying in the afternoon. And then late at night when I still want some flavor in my water, I throw in the immune booster or even the uh, recovery drinks. Um, And then who doesn't need hydration? So check them out. Uh, Promo code one's ready at checkout. We'll get you a discount. They support us, so we support them. We don't get anything from it, but um, definitely go check them out because their stuff is on fire. All right. I think that went pretty well. Welcome back to part two of the uh, Chief Master Sergeant Robert Gutierrez podcast. If you haven't watched part one, stop what you're doing right now. Go back and watch the first part. Otherwise, none of this will make sense to you, and uh, you're going to be walking into a room with no frame of reference like Donnie, and no one wants to be like that. Uh, anybody with a oh, I got you, reference? You're, you're All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay. Uh, But uh, part two, we're going to kind of move past the events of part one. And I think what we're going to cover here is like uh, some recovery stuff. And then, uh, you know, Rob has a lot of insights into the current pipeline and future of the career fields. And then leadership, of course. And that's where I get to, you know, get mentored by a friend for free. So that's where I'm going. So I think we left off with the the events after the the Air Force Cross, when you were awarded for that. And then I just wanted to jump in, if you don't mind, Rob, uh, into the, the the recovery process and everything that goes along with that and kind of focus on POTIF and all the, those things. Okay. Um, you know, thanks for having me on again, guys. It's uh, it's pretty dang awesome. Um, so the recovery piece was a little bit different. Um, at the time, we didn't, we just, uh, we didn't really look at human performance or any of that kind of stuff. Um, the The reintegration uh, that specifically, we kind of still focused on the very older type of module type of recovery and training, like, Hey, you know, okay. Standard basic physical therapy and things like that. And, and, um, and kind of hope for the best. So 
Um, so when I got home from, from Walter Reed, uh, I had to go, I was on, on Pope. So I went to, uh, just to go see the standard, um, physical therapist and, and, and docs after like all my recovery and surgeries and stuff. Cause when I got home, I still had a bunch of staples and stitches everywhere and stuff like that. So it wasn't, it wasn't that much fun. Um, but my range of motion in my left arm was nil. And at that time, you know, the war machine was going, man, and we were sending dudes left and right still. So it was kind of like a, Hey, you know, this is kind of what you're going to get in your range of motion. And it doesn't seem like it's that much. So you're kind of done. And at that point I kind of looked at it because, you know, I, I just, just before, you know, 10 years, I was like, man, am I done? And, um, I was actually pretty fortunate, um, because at the time they had started looking at different types of ways of recovery and, and, um, and how to get guys who were injured back in the fight. And, um, so I went to another unit, um, one of our, um, SMUs across the street from where we're at in the two one STS. And they sent me there to, to, uh, um, see one of their lead physical therapists and myself and another, uh, another super awesome guy named Brad, um, Brad Mozzie, um, we're getting taken care of and Brad's freaking awesome. So, you know, he had a pretty devastating knee injury and, um, from being down range and, and, uh, kind of just said, Hey man, you know, get after it, you know, cause, uh, you get really as a young, as a young staff sergeant too, when you're looking at doctors and doctors are kind of telling you, man, Hey, you know, snake eyes, man, you're done. Like it's over. That's it. Yeah. And and coming from our background, I was like, eh, I don't really, I don't really feel like it's over. I don't feel like I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna let this happen. No, I, I don't really, I don't really care what you say. I'm going to, I'm going to get better. And they're like, no, there's no real way to like, you're kind of toast. It's there's, you, you have so much damage. Your arm doesn't move that well. Your, your shoulder, I mean, it's basically, you're, you're kind of screwed. And I'm like, nah, no, nah, I don't, I don't like what you're saying. I'm, I think I'm going to leave. I think I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm going to go find somewhere else. So I just left. Like I stopped going to the doctor for them. I was like, no, nah, no, thanks. You know, cause that's the, the system itself. And, um, and I was like, no, nah, no, thanks. So like I said, I got lucky and I got to go to a, a special mission unit where they had a, um, uh, better medical care, I, I would say. Um, and, uh, they were like, Hey, you're a prime candidate to go to this place, um, called the, uh, athletes performance Institute. And I was just like, what is that? You know, They're like, well, we'll set it up and, and, and go down there. So, and this is way back when, right. So, um, and more of the inception of the type of human performance optimization we see now and, uh, or the model at least. So, um, the big thing is they're like, Hey, you're not going to be there for just like three weeks, four weeks. You're going to be there for a while. So in that instance, I was like, well, you know, you know, cause obviously uncle Sam, um, and, uh, doesn't want to pay for you to fly and live TDY in Florida for a really, really long time. So they're like, Hey, we're just going to move you. So I was a little bit bummed out. Um, but I kind of understood what I needed to do. So picked up and moved to Florida and uh man as soon as i got a place to live you know which was really really quick um man next you know i'm in pensacola florida for 
a couple months at a time, man, like getting worked on. And it was quite uh, intriguing because a, these people, they seen your problem. They, they saw it, they looked at it and they're like, you, they, you told them what you wanted and they said, okay, well, we want to get you there. And you're talking, um, you know, the, some of the medical staff that had were on, you know, they work for the Dallas Cowboys and were there for 15 years and all these pros that their whole investment and time in you was to get you where you wanted to. And they wanted to get you there. It wasn't just like a, Oh, let me see your movement on your arm. Oh yeah. You're done. Yeah. Okay. Here you go. See you later. It was full of dedicated staff to your diet, your workouts, your recovery, all these things. And I was there for a dang long time. Um, getting fixed. And uh, um, it was actually funded by what's called the Eagle Fund, um, which was actually started, I believe, by Marcus Trail. And uh, man, I went from having like probably what we measured it before I left at 38% mobility and, um, and movement in my arm. And when I left there, man, I was close to like 90 something percent, which is huge. Now, granted, nothing's easy, obviously, like it hurt like hell um, uh, when you have their types of procedures and techniques they use to like get in there, strengthen and um, uh, and to get you back on track. It's tough because, you know, you're, you're used to your previous, you know, three or four months, five months before where you were crushing weights and you were like, ah, whatever. And then you're struggling with a, a five pound dumbbell. Yeah. And there's a mental piece to it too, that when you'd like, you can't, you're, you know, it's tough and you're trying to build and build and you're like starting from scratch, but this side's fine, but this side here doesn't want to do it. And you're like, why? You know what I mean? And, uh, um, it, it breaks into the mental mold of like, almost like restarting again, you know? Um, and you kind of look at it and go, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get back and better to what I was doing. So, um, cause plus honestly too, that being at that place, I had a couple of the operators There's some other guys that were pretty wrecked, you know, guys that were kind of similar positions shot through multiple spots, legs, arms. Um, and, uh, and it was pretty funny cause you know, we're sitting there and on one table, you know, you have these operators in this one table and on the next table, you literally have like three, three guys in the NFL. And you're kind of staring at them and you're like, I'm going to crush you today, whatever we do. And they just kind of look at you like we're crazy. And we're like, no, this is a competition. Um, so uh, we're going to beat you. I don't care that you run a four, two I'm probably going to run a four, one, nine today. Um, at least in your head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was pretty awesome. So, um, so from that piece on the physical side and then, um, you know, from there, can you kind of a, like a pseudo blueprint and trying to work and do it and then coming back to a squadron and moving on and, and trying to lift and trying to gain, make gains and stuff like that. And it wasn't until um, we started instituting more of our, uh, our HP, like human performance uh, acute clinics that we had in the squadrons that we started seeing, you know, having a strength conditioning coach, having a PT, having a, um, an AT. Um, Cause I didn't know what an AT was before an athletic trainer. So, and, and getting those things, which is great, but also, um, you know, the path 
to success and getting back up and running and then being able to, you know, put the old, at the time, you know, put the old MC4 back on and get back on the horse and man, start, start jumping again, start doing all the things, you know, getting those, uh, stack line parachutes and then taking that hit when you hit the ground, you know, on a JCT. Um, so it, it, it was, uh, it was quite, quite the physical, you know, uh, struggle. Um, but when you look at it too, like, man, everything you've been through before and why are you going to give up now? Like why, why, why are we just going to call it quits just because we hit a roadblock? Or because well, not. the doctor said, oh, well, I don't think you're going to move that arm that well again. Like, you're done. Like, nah, I think you're stupid. I don't care for your doctor. I think you're dumb. You know, I'm going to move on. But but it's important because if you don't get that support on the other side, because we all lived through that pre-POTIF um, kind of mindset where it, unlike being a professional athlete, like there wasn't as much investment in taking guys uh, that come off the line for injuries or or whatever and and fully investing in them to get them back to the units. You know what I mean? I think we all kind of went through that uh, that transition period where you, API, I think, was a huge part of it. When guys started going to API and they would come back and they're like, hey, guys, like this isn't the only way. Like If you get hurt, it's not the end of everything. And uh, and then throughout you know the SOCOM programs and everything else like that to where we are today, um, I don't want to be like the old guy over here being like, you kids don't understand how good you have it because I say that all the time. But I mean, it's I think it's hard to explain what it was like before if uh, if something bad happened to you, how difficult it was, and how much you had to do on your own just to get back to uh, to operational status. You did because there wasn't a blueprint, man. There was nothing. It was like your own research. It was, and the internet wasn't that great even back then. You know what I mean? Um, and and you're just reading and looking and and searching and or sometimes paying out of your own pocket to go go somewhere. You know what I mean? And get fixed or get on like, you know, from a, from a training aspect, you know what I mean? Um, because we only know what we know. And the only thing we knew was push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, run fast, run intervals, you know, get in the pool swim intervals. And that's it. That's really, we never knew about pre and post type of, um, type of workouts, um, how to take care of yourself, how to eat correctly, how to mobility work. You know what I mean? Just, we just didn't know it. That wasn't a thing, you know, um, we always knew that, you know, before we took a pass test or before we started PT, we, we would stretch, you know, the old school way, kind of sit there. Maybe you might jump some rope and then, you know, mess around and try to wrestle a little bit to get warmed up instead of a, you know, a, a, a dynamic warm up of some type to, to get you going. You know what I mean? And then you should be stretching after the fact, you know? Um, <clears throat> so, um, man, it was, it was quite the, quite the change. Um, and actually, when I got here to send uh, to where I'm at now in San Antonio, um, you know, I got lucky because the we, we were standing up the battle at the time, the Battle for Airman Training Group, and uh, you know, we had one strength and conditioning coach there, um, and he kind of understood. And I went to talk to him, and I was like, "Hey, man, I just came from Cannon from my previous unit. I had a strength and conditioning coach. I, we just started getting ATs. I just started working on this kind of stuff." but I'm having still some mobility issues here. And I kind of see this is not on par with this. And, um, and man, he took me to a whole other level of different type of care. Um, and again, you know, the investment was there personally, like the, these individuals we have, they're personally invested in, in our operators to get them up and running. 
and they make it their goal to see these strides and stuff like that. So I got really lucky when I first met um, Kevin Edgerton at 18 Alpha Fitness, man, um, because where I thought where I was and some of the techniques and things like that he did to take care of me and build me plans was fantastic. You know what I mean? Because now I had not only someone who is already experienced, but also had the the strength conditioning and additional backgrounds in his in his in his TTPs basically to kind of mold them and say, all right, we want to get you here. And then just seeing the progress go from there. So um man, it was awesome to have, you know, again, uh guys like Kevin uh take care of you. And then also, because you know, there's other things you want to do in life other than just you know, be an operator. There's, there's a, like, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm, I'm a huge, <laughs> a huge hunter, right? I like, I love to bow hunt. I love it, you know, uh, cause there's a different piece and it's also part of your recovery too. And the mental resilience piece, you got to find some of these things that works for you. It just happens to be that me, I like to, you know, sit in a bow blinder or a tree stand. And sometimes I won't see anything and it's okay. Um, you know, sometimes there are big deer, whatever the case, um, and the uh, and the opportunity to to type of to to get into it and find that thing for you. It's it's almost like that Zen piece where you can sit and read, or to be honest, you know, take a nap. Yeah. You, I mean, it's just so you talk about you talked about API and and it's gone through a couple of different name changes and stuff like that, but. And that was all before POTIF. And actually, you know, they, they still exist and they still do a lot of good work. So if our POTIF team can't, you know, handle, you know, the, the workload because they're not just seeing one person, you know, they're seeing the entire unit. So oftentimes the workload is too much. So we will send, still send people to API or Exos or whatever the name, Andrews Institute, whatever the name is now. But um, I mean, that and you talked about the Eagle Fund. Like that is all charitable giving. So, you know, when you, when you start thinking about, um, you know, where's, where's my money going to, obviously you have to think about, you know, who you're donating to, but like, it's pretty amazing that there are people in the U S that care so much for their, you know, their soldiers, airmen, sailors, Marines, that they are willing to put forth. And it's a lot of money. You know, they donate a ton of money to ensure that the soft community is healing, getting better and ready to go on the next thing. So, I, I mean, I just wanted to capture that piece of it because that that charitable giving that people do is incredible, incredible. And it really does help um, I mean, because that you, you said it. This is the same place that you you see professional basketball players, football players, Olympic athletes go into. And that dynamic is pretty funny because, you know, you're right. It is kind of a competition. They're, they're on that side and they're actually told not to talk to us, you know, um, or at least they were anyway. I don't, maybe that's changed, but they just kind of said, hey, don't, don't talk to them. Don't ask them questions because a lot of us that are showing up are showing up because of wounds you know, sustained in, in combat. So they're told not to talk to us. And then a lot of us are kind of like, Oh, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that's 
whoever, you know, <laughs> like, so you, you're kind of not going to go, you know, fanboy out on them either. So it's definitely until you've been there for a couple of days and then you kind of break down those barriers and then, you know, you're sitting in the hot tub freaking with, with them. And then you're like, okay, cool. Let's, let's start rapping. But, um, like that, that's such an awesome opportunity that you had to go there. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, and you're right. It's, it's all charitable funds. I mean, I just recently went to an event for the combat control foundation and, and it was in, it was here in Texas and the amount of support, you know, that you see for some of these things. I mean, man, we raised, and this is just an estimate, I believe like half a million dollars. And these are just normal, you know, red blooded Americans that are patriotic. And then they get to understand and see what we're trying to do with it and who we're trying to help. And, you know, this is their livelihood. And they're just like, boom, here. Yep. We'll donate this. We'll donate that. We will figure out a way. And it's super, uh, um, uh, it's a really hard. It's humbling. It's, it's super <laughs> and you're like, wow, like, I can't believe you would do that for us. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but then you see their perspective, too. Um, and you get to hear their perspective on what, you know, what we do and, and, and what our airmen and airmen do, you know, and, and all of our, uh, soldiers, Marines and sailors, they, in some instances, they wish that they could have done that. And they know they're at a point in their life where they can't do it because they're so invested in that. So they just still want to help. Yep. They want to be a part of the solution. Um, so they, they donate and they tell people and it's fantastic, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's we're, almost super worthwhile. So, yeah, we're actually going to have, um, chief LaMonica on LA, uh, not just to talk about himself because for, for the, you know, <laughs> for, <laughs> for the, um, you know, viewers or listeners out there, like you guys are in for a treat whenever we have Mike LaMonica on, because that dude is a legitimate, um, Rambo, I'll yeah. just I'll just put that out there. When you have when you have units uh, by name requesting him to go on certain missions, and he's mm -hmm. like, "Guys, I gotta share some of the wealth with the other folks." Um, like that should tell you something. But anyway, so I I forget what I don't know if he's the president of the Combat Control Foundation or if he, but he he's one of the board members, if not the president. But he's the um, president. yeah, so I just got off the phone with him a couple of days ago. Um, talking about getting him on. So he, he agreed. He's like, all right, I'll come on, but you got to promise me. We only talk half of it about me because I don't want to talk about myself. And the other half, we've got to talk about all the amazing things that the Combat Control Foundation, TACP Foundation, PJ Foundation, and the Gray Beret Association are doing. So, um, yeah, so we're going to have him on. We just got to figure out a schedule. But, um, but that's, that's fantastic. They were able to, uh, and that you attended and you were able to help help them raise that money um yeah. we had a whole bunch of guys there we had a whole bunch of guys yeah. and they were all doing their part you know out there um talking to these people and making them feel welcomed you know and, and doing their part there was a whole bunch so and it was a good it was a good event and i'm sure we're gonna link up to do some more oh so. yeah so and like la's awesome yeah it's just <laughs> i don't know how to describe it but awesome yeah, I know. And he's got that voice, too, that'll just put you in your seat. But um, that's not weird. 
But uh, yeah, anyway, um, so I do, I do want to hit something and I don't want to hit it now because I think it's a unique opportunity that we have right now to have two functionals, you know, that I actually get to talk to. So I think that's pretty cool, but I don't want to hit that yet. I want to hit, I just, I'm going to throw it out there as a teaser just to put you guys on notice. I do want to talk about some functional manager stuff, but uh, for now, Rob, can you go into some of the changes that you've seen um, or that is in the incoming future for the pipeline? Um, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of send you down a certain direction. I just want it to come naturally in terms of what's, What's coming up for for the pipeline for all of Aspect War? So that's a good that's a good question. Without so, getting in too much trouble for yeah. <laughs> so I will say that man, it is a. Uh, so obviously we've made some we've made some huge changes, right? And and you've guys gone over the the changes before, and I've, I've watched the other podcast of like how the selection process has moved on and things like that. But what people need to understand too, and what these candidates and, and, and future, you know, soon to be hopefuls um, for to be an operator is that there's so much change going on. The recipe isn't complete, you know, um, because when we look at, for instance, the preparatory course and even name changes to that, and then how ANS is right after that, and then in pre-development even before that with. Um, you know, the, the 330th RCS and who they're getting in contact with and all that sort of stuff, man, all that stuff is, is great, but that's just us, man, probably like 15%. There's so many changes moving on into the, in the career field and the pipelines too, of, of where we're training, how we're training. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you've gone over, but like, you know, Combat control has left. We left Keesler Air Force Base for their travel control course. Like we run it at Pope now, right? And you know, I was very fortunate with to work with some guys in developing like why we would leave the normal air traffic control piece, which is historically and you know, there's a history piece to it for us to go there, right? For that whole model of running down the flight line, you know, with rocks and all this other stuff and training there there was a big piece to that our own hangar and all these things that we were training every day and going to class and and there was a, a piece to that that we we decided saying hey when we looked at for instance the curriculum too and saying hey what what over the past we we look back 30 years and go when have we actually done x y and z on these you know items for the curriculum you know, and then doing the research and going, how many times have we done it or where are we done it and in what capacity and how, how heavy a load and should it be at a three-level skill task? Should it be at a five-level or seven-level, things like that? And just say, okay, we're going to break these off and say, these are more advanced skills. We're going to take that out, move the curriculum, move it to Pope to try to streamline the pipeline and then make it the entry into combat control school. Um, and that took a ton of work. And that's not even, I mean, it's complete but we're still looking at things, right? We still have to have our, um, our essential, our not, I wouldn't say an adjudication, but like a review from the air traffic community in the air force, you know, that they come in and see and, and as partners saying, Hey, we're mimicking your course in Keesler. We just changed the location. Right. And then, you know, cause that's a big deal in the air force is that certification or that course itself. Um, because, 
you know, when you look at it, you're still going to ask a young airman to be controlling traffic in some austere airfield in the middle of nowhere where English is the international language for air traffic, right? And for, for aircraft. But are we going to be doing it correctly by the book, how it's done, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, most, I'm laughing because I'm like, yeah, in well, most man, case, I sure right? hope so. <laughs> yeah, I sure hope so, right? Um, but like, are we still doing it right, you know? Because um, we should be able to take any of our any of our controllers, for instance, and drop them in a tower and say, hey, man, get to work. And they should be pretty dang close to their peers over there. You know what I mean? Minus a couple of things that you'll see at a normal tower, you know, based on their own procedures and things like that. But we should be able to do that and we should have confidence. Right. So there's uh, changes to that changing the, you know, um, within the curriculums, too, is adding a lot of the human performance aspect into it. Um, because once they're again, once they've gotten through ANS, they're now selected. You know, it's like it's like when you went through Indoc, right? When you left Indoc, man, you were selected, right? Now, granted, at that time in combat control, we we still punished people in certain positions, but the higher expectation was still there that you were you were good, right? And then we moved on to um, a different type of model where we built dudes up and basically had those. I wouldn't say roadblocks or gates, but those harder portions in the pipeline. And we just, just like, we lost so many probably really good candidates um, over the thrashings instead of just, you know, at that point, you know, teach, mentor, coach, I would say, hold the standard. The standard is always there, but do you have to thrash them for an additional like five hours before they take that test? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe maybe a gut check here and there, which I'm I'm okay with, you know what I mean? Um, because it's always necessary. Um, but like do we do we need to possibly plus on top of that, you get some injuries too, man. Like some of those distractions, man, dudes get hurt. And there's there's an additional investment we just made or a ton of money that we just lost. So um I see different changes in the future too on our pipeline. Um, especially with lining courses up, because again, we rely on heavily on sister services for our courses, you know, for instance, like MFF, like granted, we've moved, we, we, we've, been, we've moved on now when it comes to Air Force Dive School, which is great. But if you look at how many years did that take? Yeah. A long, long time. So are you saying there's going to be an Air Force free fall? I know we'll, we'll probably never get away from Airborne because that just, it's a three week school. It's set up. You know, it, it, it makes sense to go to airborne, but, or maybe it doesn't, I don't know, but. So in the current model, it does. Right. Um, but also if you look at, for instance, look at the tech P career that went jump inherent. Now our numbers are requirements are huge. Mm. So is it in our best interest to do our own or kind of mirror what, for instance, the Navy does that takes three weeks and does it in a week. I mean, I, that would be preferred because I think anybody that's gone through it probably knows that you don't need three weeks to do airborne. You, you could absolutely do it in one week. You could do it in one week, right? So um, there's a whole bunch of things out there on how we're going to start changing certain portions of the, of, the, of the pipelines to be more efficient, to be faster, um, to get that. Because, you know, we want quality. We want um 
the, the quantity that we need to support our career fields and we need quickness. So going off the old models that you would lose two out of those three. And the only thing you want to, you want to keep is quality with the standard, right? And you got to give up the quantity and quickness in some instances. So it, it's really hard to say what's going to happen, but we're still looking because we, we just not finalized, but got to a point with prep and ANS that we, that works, you know, and that is getting the right candidate with the right attributes. And, and, and those guys that hustle down there, um, they do a fantastic job. You know what I mean? Both our, our enlisted guys, our, our GS guys, and then also um, our civilian contractors to help out um, because it's, it's, and it's great. Like it's a well refined machine now. Now it's moving on to the next piece and the next piece. Because then we have to look at too, or, or like at our training locations too. Like, do we do we go too far? Should we consolidate it? We've tried before, but man, when you look at Uncle Sam, it's money in the bank, right? And how much does he want to spend? Um, and that's a big move to to try to like consolidate everything. Like you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, that has to be distributed across the Air Force. And, and, and when you look at it, we're such a small, small entity in the Air Force with such big impact, right? But we we still got to, you know, share the cash a little bit across, you know, those planes do need new propellers. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to be flying on them with duct tape and bricks, like keeping stuff together. Um, so, and, there, and there's also other things too. We're still looking at curriculums, you know, for instance, like, um, you know, because all three of us, and, and I know Aaron went through it, but like, you know, look at SEER, right? The skills are necessary, but do we need to go through that whole course completely? Or do we need right. small segments to be more affiliated or more correlated to what we actually risk downrange with our guys? You know what I mean? And do we, because you, you learn certain um, portions like land navigation there, right? But do we need to go over that when at combat control school, you're going to get tons of hours of blocks and instruction and probably one of the best land nav courses in the DOD that are run at CCS, you're going to get taught there. Do we want to train a bad habit or a different habit when we're going to instill that later on? So you're, you're talking about consolidation and not duplicating efforts, basically. So if, mm-hmm. if small unit tactics is taught at, the TACP schoolhouse, PJ, CCTSR, um, almost having a, a singular, maybe common to all type thing? Yes, to a certain degree. Okay. Because like SMUT is SMUT, right? You know, small unit well, tactics. But yeah, small unit tactics. We're not talking about SMUT SMUT here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the Just kids even clear. say SMUT anymore. It's But like small unit tactics, right? the level of type of what we're requiring out of a combat control and a pararescue and a special reconnaissance might be different from a little bit from the conventional tech P because he's going to be moving with a large, huge ground maneuver force or conventional element, whether that's with light infantry, mechanized, whoever, right. It's a little bit different, right? So we, do we use a similar type of curriculum that teaches that? Yes. Do we refine things for these other things that will go into a SOCOM world only you know, and really, truly be small unit tactics, then yes, right? It's just the differences, but we should have something similar. So we, we can kind of mirror each other and say, okay, hey, like these guys got really good at this. Let's implement it over here. This worked out really well. And let's put it over here. So um, 
because in my, in my belief, you still got to hold the line. Like you still got to hold the, the separation of, um, of how things are run from a conventional calf perspective and a soft element. Right. And because man, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I love some of my soft tappy bros, especially, you know, um, there's some really, really good ones that do soft work only. Right. But those guys, again, go to a different selection too, and they prove their worth and, and, and to, to get an opportunity to go to those units. Um, so it's one of those things, man, that, you know, we're constantly changing the recipe and we're looking at it because, um, since our inception of the BATG, which stood to be a special warfare training group to a special warfare training wing, you know, to have an A3S directorate, um, and division, like it's growth, right? We're trying to mimic something that, for instance, the Navy has been had in business for 50 years that the army has done for like 70 years. And we're trying to do it since, I don't know, 2016. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that gets lost out there uh, when, when you're on the outside of, of the AATC world and all the things that we're doing is that you get a lot of thrash about name changes and things happening and, well, the standards are disappearing. Uh, but, but just like you're saying, it's all uh, it's logistics and efficiencies and all that other kind of stuff. Like we, we, we've changed career fields for crying out loud. Like we have 19 Zulus now to try to bring a lot of the, the similarities in with that. And we're all one Zulus now. Uh, kind of making that delineation saying we all have a certain uh, core skill sets that, that run across all the career fields. And so that's what we're looking for. Like when we move up uh, uh, air traffic control school up to uh, Pope, for example, now you don't have to have a supply shop at two different locations with uh, all the, the weights and the gym and all that other stuff. And so we're looking for efficiencies, but we're not trying to change the person that graduates the pipeline. We're not trying to change, you know, who we're looking for, the standards or anything like that. We're just trying to become more efficient and it takes time, and it's a it's a big it's a big rock to move. Uh, so I think when when people out there hear about the the changes, they they make certain assumptions about what that change means. But uh, I know it can be hard to see sometimes. But the per, the people coming out the back end of the pipeline, I think, um, are the same people that have always been coming out the back end of the pipeline. Right, and and on top of that too, like when we talk about from the outside looking in, you know what I mean. Um, you know, what people don't understand is that, you know, at the end of the day, still, we belong to the big Air Force. And in and, and some of those instances, you got to play by the rules to win. It's the only way you win. So you change curriculums, you change certain things, you keep the standards, you just, <clears throat> you just have to reward it in a curriculum base that the Air Force accepts. Um, because, you know, just, uh, you know, just recently, um, I was fortunate to be a like a SME for some of our things for the ANS course. And we had big air force come in. They're big people that come in and say, Hey, this is certified or not. Right. And when they see what's happening, these individuals who are really good at curriculum writing and certifying these courses and all this other stuff, freak the, I mean, freak out. And they're literally thinking, why aren't you guys calling an ambulance for these kids? They're dying, blah, blah, blah. And how is this happening? And we're just like, um, this is normal. Yeah, he'll be fine. fine. This is this is hazing. This is this and that. No, it's not. There, we are we are fortifying to see um the structure to ensure that we are picking the right candidate. And yeah, it looks just like destructive. It looks like we are killing this kid, but I assure you, he has more air than he thinks. It, you know, um, or they look like they're hurting because they are. You know, they're on day X without 
you know, sleep or whatever the case. And yeah, it looks terrible, but I assure you, this is a training environment. What we might have to put them into one day is going to be way worse. So, and you have to be there to kind of calm the waters and be like, "Mm, they're fine. And they just kind of look at you like you're crazy. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm telling you, man, like this is, this is okay. You know, this isn't normal. And then on top of that, you know, with our growth has come a lot of capabilities. They're like, um, for instance, we saw some shallow water blackouts and some kids were, you know, hitting really hard. Right. And one kid was kind of like doing the chicken his legs were shaking and stuff like that. And they thought he was dying. I was just like, like, so you need to get him to an ambulance. I'm like, do you know that we have a, probably one of the best ER doctors literally standing right next to him, evaluating him. And they're like, Oh really? I'm like, yeah. Cause he's not in a doctor's suit and he doesn't have a white coat. He's literally in his PT uniform. Cause it's hot as Hades in this freaking pool, but he is good to go. I assure you, that's the best hands he's ever had. And they're like, oh, we're like, we're not doing this, you know, on the fly. You know what I mean? Like, this is well prepared. We so, used to. <laughs> yeah, we used to. We, um, we are definitely training and selecting a lot smarter now um, than we did. But that's the difference is we used to keep people out and do our own thing. But now we're just going through that process where we have to bring everybody in. And you have to get over that initial hump of everybody thinking that we're crazy and killing people. And once they understand it, though, in my experience, they're on that they're maybe more passionate about doing things the way that we do with them than we are. Like they get super invested. Right. And it's just like knowing your audience. Right. We know the audience. We tell them what they need to know. We don't tell them everything because, you know, we don't like giving up the the secrets to the recipe Um, because we uh, and that's for our own piece. Like, yeah, some of the things that work for us may not work for, you know. uh I don't know, security forces. It may not work for EOD. It may not work for CE. It just, because we're asking a lot. Um, yeah, we're looking for, we're looking for different things though. Exactly. Um, so it's just one of those things. So yeah, the, the outside with those changes, man, I still see additional changes coming with um, more efficiencies and things like that. Just like Trent said, like, hey, well, I have two gyms. And then on top of that, there is a, like we have to be real. Like there's a financial aspect when you got to send a kid to air traffic control school for X amount of weeks. You know what I mean? It costs us money to, to, for him to travel, um, him or her to, to travel, to lodge, to, to get going for necessities there for curriculum, for whatever, you know what I mean? It costs money. Um, when in fact we can just give it to them in one time or less at a, at a one location instead. And, ease that transition because no candidate wants to be in the pipeline for two plus years. Like nobody does. This sucks. You're just in limbo all the time, wondering if you're going to make it or not, you know? So these moves are efficiencies to cut that time down too. So we can get them out and get them to STTS and then get them to the operational units faster. Um, still holding the same quality. So I would say we won't be done changing pipelines for a while. Because we have to build more. Well, um, and it ne- it's never ending. It's it's a con- constantly evolving thing. It's a it's a living, breathing animal. Right. It's just like our CFPTP. You know what I mean? The the career for education training plan. It, it constantly changes. You know, every two months we're doing a review on it. So as you should, you got to stay relevant. You got to stay up to date. You know, and that's why we did some changes to the air traffic piece because some of those things were Ill- irrelevant. You know what I mean? Using S S, you know. SST 181 just doesn't work anymore. You know, 
Man, I haven't, I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like when we transition from a jerk 206, like that palette doesn't work anymore. We've you know, look what we have now. You know what I mean? You hush your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the jerk 206 survived this. <laughs> TRN 41. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Yeah. Talking about some nerdery, huh? Yeah. So, so good. Swapping from, uh, from the nerdery, uh, of the jerk 206 and, and, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> You're really bringing it back here. <laughs> um, I want to transition to leadership a little bit and, and kind of, uh, you know, cross the streams, if you will, between, between leadership and being a functional manager, you know, because really, and unless I'm, I'm misunderstanding what a functional manager does, like you guys are almost responsible for, aiding and paving the way for folks that are already cross-training or not already crushing that are wanting to cross-train or our prior service and then becoming aspect war and going through the the pipeline and stuff like that so um like i said go lacrosse between some leadership and some functional stuff but like as the functional for AETC for combat control, like what are some of the leadership aspects that you're looking for? Um, you know, in your, in your limited, uh, I'm going to say limited just cause I don't know, but in your limited um, interactions with some of these folks that are trying to come over. So <clears throat> usually, and, and, and Trent knows this as well. When, when I see packages and things like that, because obviously they have to go through my purse and the retraining process, things like that. And I review these packages and I'm looking for specific things, right? Like we're looking for attributes and ANS. Well, the only thing I have to go off of is a package that I'm going to read online and look at, right? So I do thorough reviews on the cross-training piece on, on EPRs, you know, um, because I have to see through the lines too. Uh, just like everywhere else, sometimes you'll see firewall fives. And I'll see this, this kid basically here save the world in this EPR. But I have to read through it and then I look at another one, literally, you know, 10 minutes later, and I'll pop them up and I'll do some comparisons and I'll see where a supervisor actually rated his troop the right way. And sometimes I'll pick the other one that doesn't have firewall fives and he's where he needs to be at in his career um, as a young staff sergeant or as a senior airman, you know what I mean? And where they need to, because it shows me that there's growth, that there's learning, um, that there's an opportunity for someone to learn. Because, for instance, when you look at leadership, for instance, you know, the big question is, are you born with it or can it be taught or can be learned? Um, Yeah, some people are born with it. Yeah, they have a a certain uh, uh, attribute or, or trait because of how they grew up that helps them be better at leading in certain instances. But then you see other ones that could be taught. You know, um, and and that also can be done. Right. So when I look at those EPRs, I'm looking for those small things. Um, I'm looking at recommendation letters. um, And, you know, I know the standard format now after reviewing hundreds of them now where it's just a a commander just kind of like it was just a cut and paste sign sent. Right. And it's unfortunate because the candidate, you know, when you go get those, you know, Nobody takes care of you better than you. <laughs> I, I, dude, I, I'm laughing because I say the same exact thing to people. Like, as a squadron superintendent, I will do my best to take care of the people, right? I, I truly will try and do that. But 
you know, when you're talking 200 people, like I just, I can't possibly take care of everybody a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. So like you have to look out for yourself. It, I, I want to hit on that whole recommendation letter real quick because I, it, it's part of the package. From what I understand, it's part of the retrain package. But, uh, I was just talking to somebody just the other day because I, I don't value those things because of exactly what you said. It's a, uh, for a lot of commanders or a lot of chiefs, it's a copy and paste thing because they just don't have the time or, or whatever. So two things on this, or maybe it's three. I don't know. I can't count, but, um, you should be writing, um, at least a shell for the letter of recommendation, you know, save your chief, save your commander time. I'm not saying like, Hey, this guy's amazing, that kind of stuff. And it sounds ridiculous writing your own recommendation letter, but again, help yourself. And this is me talking. This is not the process. This is not good or Trent saying that's right. This is me. Um, write it, write it for me, right? At least a shell. It, and then I'm going to go in and I'm going to put my own personal, like my personal experience with you, um, and recommendation and then sign it and put it forward. Um, because if you're asking me to write one from scratch, that is where the whole copy and paste thing comes from, right? Um, because we just don't have time. It's not that we don't care. It's like we just don't have enough time in the day. Um, the other aspect of that is I don't even read. Like if I, if I get somebody coming to the unit that has a, a letter of recommendation, I don't even read it. I really don't. Because I know that it's, you just had to, I would pick up the, I will pick up the phone and call that person's commander or that person's chief or supervisor and actually go, Hey man, what's the real deal with this? Because I know that they had to have a recommendation letter even to get through the process. So it's, I, I know I hit kind of both ends and you're like, well, why the hell do I need a letter of recommendation? It's just the reality of it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'll be honest, I read through them and I see those formatted ones and I'm like, mm, man, how, you know, how bad do you want it? It comes down to like, how bad do you want it? You know, if you write your own letter of recommendation, like you said, you build a shell that they just fill in a couple of pieces, put in all your traits, put in your goods, everything that you think, why we should pick you. Yep. You know, why should we pick you up? We have pseudo like limited slots. We can maneuver things and change some stuff, right? To get people in. But why, why, what, what are you offering to the team? You know what I mean? Don't it's just like, you know, like, what do you, you know, we have, you know, it's just like when you get to, when you get to a unit, right. And you get to a, a team, what, it's not what can the team and what can combat control and ST in general or, or special warfare offer you. No, 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 no. What can you offer to make us better? Yeah. You got to sell. you got to sell yourself. Um, right. So, okay. So transitioning from the letter of recommendation kind of thing, what, like, what is one thing or, or two things that like you see a package and you're like, dude, come on. And you just kind of not chuck it out. Cause that's not what you actually do, but you're just kind of like, man, you didn't take the time to ensure the spelling was correct or whatever. Like what, what are a couple of those things? A couple of things that, <laughs> um, well, there's a couple of things that drive me crazy. So first thing is, um, if I'll look at a package, right. And before I get that package, I'll, I'll read because there's a certain system we look at, whatever the case. And I will see certain things like in the in the chat or whatever the case, you know, somebody submitted it a week away, a week ago. 
and there, there are 17 different messages and they're like, I'm looking for an update. I submitted it five days ago. Like, where's it at? Like, I want to know where I'm at. And am I in, am I in or am I out? And I'm like, you know how many other candidates like come at us, the, the waiting list alone, um, you know, uh, that it's kind of like, it kind of drives me crazy. Cause I'm like, cause in that instance, I'm looking at, it, I'm like, it's not all new because now they're thinking about, it's only about me and only me, you know, not realizing that there's also, and I'm, I'm no kidding guessing here. There's probably 75 to a hundred people that want to retrain at any given time. I'm guessing at any given time we have a ton of packages. I mean, you know, that package is probably what trends like 18, 20 pages long, really, when you look at the whole thing, you know what I mean? And we have to open it up piece by piece and scan and look and read and print out and stuff like that. Um, so it, it doesn't take me like 10 minutes to look at a package. It literally takes me like I do. A, I try to do a thorough job on, on who we're selecting. Um, and, um, you know, to read each one and, and, and that takes time. You know what I mean? Cause this is, cause the minute someone like Trent or myself or other counterpart, Kenny, the minute I say yes, I just put my name on it. That's how I look at it. I just put my name on it to the career field. Um, so I'm also looking for, um, certain things, for instance, you know, I do get this a lot, you know, and when you go into my person, things like that, there's a fact sheet and it says who we accept. Right. And, and sometimes there's exceptional policies that we look at. But when I have, you know, 15-year tech sergeants trying to apply, I'm like, man, you didn't even read the directions. Like, you're not even eligible for this. You know what I mean? Like, why are you applying? Because I just, I look at it and I go, wait a minute. He's got, you know, five years time and grade as a tech sergeant. He's, you know, uh, 16 years in, I'm like, immediate. Sorry. But the, you're out. the midlife crisis packages. Yeah. I'm like, you're out, man. Um, cause what we also look at guys that come from sister services too. You know what I mean? We only have so many of those slots that we can, that we can convert over and things like that. Um, so, uh, also too, one thing that kind of drives me nuts is, you know, I understand like a couple of chances, right? Like one, you, like you came through a little while ago, whatever the case, but for instance, now the policy is, you know, 24 months, you got to wait. And when I'm seeing guys that failed out physically or they're, they don't have the integrity, I would say, and they're like, well, I got medically, medically, you know, removed. And then I read, you know, the 125 alphas and all this other stuff that we have access to. And I'm like, and this is this candidate basically SIE and is kind of using the medical piece. The medical doctors are like, he's perfectly fine. You know, mm. he's actually hundred percent fine. And then I'm like, hmm. And he's reapplying three months later. Okay, so I I didn't, I wasn't tracking that. That, So um, from removal, whether it's, um, you know, injury or uh, whatever, you weren't uh, weren't selected, you got to wait 24 months. Is that 24 months before you can apply or 24 months, like prior to 24 months, you can start applying and then? Yes, so 24 months to train. Okay, to training. Okay. And then, huh, all right, that's, that's good to know. You know, is, is, is how we kind of look at that stuff. And, um, you know, I see a lot of them, they're like three months out or like the next month, like, Hey, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I want back in. I'm like, sorry, man, you got to wait. Because I, if I take, if I give that individual a slot back, I just took away from, first of all, a kid off the street. 
that it's had zero chances. Um, and if he didn't get washed back legitimately, then there's a chance and more than likely that something ha bad happened that we just weren't looking for. So sometimes they need that time to kind of reassess um, and do a little bit of self-reflection and pick up some things and, and get a little bit more, maybe a little more mature, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, and, and then come back and try after whatever feedback they've given, institute it, okay. learn it, try it, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes sense. So if I'm in the pipeline, I don't get selected. Like how long, um, from, from time that I submit my package on CMS and request, rec well, man, I can't even say request, request retraining, like at what, like how, what is that process or not that process, but what is that timeline? So generally, I'm not trying to hold you to a certain standard. Yeah, generally, you know, it takes us probably, you know, because it really is, it's kind of luck of the draw sometimes too, because we only get so many allocated slots per per shipment to put in, because that's all depending on how many non-prior service kids we get from the recruiting service. Sometimes it's 25 slots, sometimes it's 35. I mean, some cases it might be like 50. Um, 25 is usually the number, like the kind of rough estimate we always go off of. Um, and we got, remember, 25 is what we split between combat control, special reconnaissance, pararescue, and TACP. Exactly. Right? So. Um, and it's not a SWOE kind of thing, guys. When you cross train, you cross train to be APJ, to be SR, to mm -hmm. be combat control. Yep. So uh, there's no. There's no switch, you know what I mean? Because basically you just sign into like a GTEP contract if you get selected. You know, that spot for you is going to combat control or pararescue or special reconnaissance. Um, so uh, there's 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 those things. So I would say roughly the time frame around eight, 18, 19 months is probably your best bet, I would say, to kind of like boom, start submitting. Because remember, getting a uh, a SWA clearance is difficult, um, depending what base you're at, because some bases might not even have a flight dock to review it. And then on top of that, um, they don't always do the right. There's certain requirements in that medical um, 2992 that says, hey, you have your SWA requirements, but also look at this requirement here for this medical piece because that's required for military freefall and jump because the army standard this is the naval standard for diving and they have to have all these they'll send us swa and i'll look at it, i'm like that's not going to cut the mustard because that doctor didn't take the time to read the requirement and so i can't accept them so i'll write back on hey take it back to the doctor and say hey have them put this that you're clear for this also and then it goes back and forth it's like a doctor's like, no, it's fine. I'm like, no, we won't accept them. You have to do this. And then I got to reach out to our HPSG and say, hey, to our um, SGP or Surgeon General Practitioner there, and he's got to reach out to the doctor. Then two doctors go at it for one kid. You know what I mean? This is why, you know, um, it's vital because once they show up, we need we need at least about 18 months of your SWA clearance good to go because that'll get you through the pipeline. If you show up with one month left, man, like you're going home because we don't have the organic capability all the time to 
we don't have the organic capability to uh, to get those done because all the equipment and everything that's necessary for those FW clearances are on main base and don't belong to us. Um, people have this misconception that within the SWTW that we have this organic capability. We have an operational medical squadron, but they're supporting the operational training that's going on, not doing flight physicals for 70 kids. No, man. Okay. So for you people that are out there that are thinking that haven't joined yet, that are thinking, okay, I'm going to come in and do another job and then go to CCT, PJSR, whatever it's going to be, like right there, you heard that there's limits, limited slots. I mean, I'm just thinking about all the physical aspects in terms of, you know, getting the, the special warfare airman physical, the SWIC physical and all that kind of stuff. Like all of those things, you just heard the process. And then it's not even guaranteed that you're going to get your package selected to even attend. So I get it. If you're in some kind of, um, bad situation before coming out, you know, whether you're severely in debt or you're in a very toxic situation, you just need to, you know, remove yourself to that situation. So you're just trying to get in the Air Force or the military as fast as you possibly can. Okay, do that. That's fine. Like, but if you're going in with the mindset that you are going to, I'm going to go, you know, be whatever it is, security forces, services, CE or whatever it is, and then cross train, like that is not a guarantee. I mean, you heard it from Goot's mouth. He's the, the air education training command functional for CCT. Trend is the same for special reconnaissance. Like, don't think that you are going to, it's a, an automatic because it's not. Sorry, rant, my bad. <laughs> but we get those, I, I, I just say that because we get those questions all the time and you, you'll, you'll see it, you know, in, in DMs or comments or on Reddit, you'll, you'll see it. It's like, Hey, I'm thinking about going in and doing this. And man, you're setting yourself up for failure. Like I said, it's one thing if you're trying to, like, you're in severe debt, you're in a toxic situation or something like that. Like that's, that's, that's different. But man, just to go in with that going in plan of like, I'm going to do something else and then cross train. It's not a great plan. Yeah, it's, it's not a solid, it's not a guaranteed plan, you know, and, um, you know, because the wait list is there too. We have a, a huge wait list. So just because even if you cross train and we, and we pick you up, you know, don't expect to be in the next course. You know, There's probably a wait list of 40 or 60 already waiting. They've been waiting, you know, we just cleared a backlog last, last year or earlier in the year. I had some kids like Trent Willett, they're a year out, a yeah. year they were waiting Oh man! Like after their package was selected, saying you are clear to retrain, and then they had to wait a year to get into the the pipeline. So okay, so if 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 I'm one of those airmen, you you had you had mentioned the uh, the SWA the the medical assessment thing. So and I and I should have like a year remaining on that. Like now I've got to time that out, right? I've got to, okay, so you've accepted me. I've got to wait a year. I need to look and go, okay, well, my my um, medical assessment's going to expire. And they're, what are they good for? Three years, right? Two that's years. Okay, so two years. Like, man, that's that's tough. So you better be you better be on your game. Right, and, and I'll tell you what, I see those two. When we have a backlog like that at the SWA, and if I picked you up, and I picked up your package because I looked at your EPRs and I read through the piece and I've called because I will call. 
Like I will call for those letters of recommendations. I'll call. It says, hey, contact me at this POC. Okay. I get on the phone. I'm like, hey, I got some questions about your troop, you know? Um, and I look at it and I ask specifics, right? Um, Cause that, that also verifies something for me. You know, when you see a letter of recommendation from a supervisor, or whatever the case that was his previous base or whatever the case, I'll call him and say, hey, what do you think about this guy? I'll just tell him, hey, Rob Gutierrez, I'm a functional manager. I'm looking at a cross training package. I got some questions about Aaron Snuffy. You know what I mean? And, uh, and oh, I, was I like, got hey, some questions. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, I just want to see what your thoughts are. And some of them will tell me the truth, man. You know, and I'll be like, oh, OK, cool. Well, I appreciate your input. And uh, thanks for your time. And I hang up. And that's sometimes I've run across a couple of those where they're like, yeah, I felt bad for him or whatever the case. So I just wrote it and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, and they're like, I wouldn't hire him. You know what I mean? And I'm oh. like, yeah, you know, like. Dude, and one of the biggest things on that too is that we harp on this all the time is I'll be like, are they good at their job now? Because yeah. some of the supervisors will be like, oh, I think they'd be a good fit for you. I'm like, well, how are they doing right now? They're like, well, and I'm like, mm, no. Yeah. Thank, like, thanks for that. Really appreciate yeah. it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so we look at that. And then, like I said, for the for the SW clearances, if we picked you up and I know there's a wait list and, and, and things like that, I will literally reach out. Like I'll call medical facilities at other bases and say, Hey man, I need you to update his SWA clearance. And they're like, well, there's a wait list. I'm like, but what you got to understand is he's been waiting for X amount of time and I need this much longer. So I will literally, um, you know, luckily being at the matchcom level and things like that, there are certain TTPs I use too, when I'm calling medical training facilities or MTF. So I'll be like, Hey, I'm a matchcom functional in, in, uh, in AETC and, we're doing this and that. I would really appreciate if you can help this kid, you know, get that updated SWA clearance because he's about to go through this grueling pipeline and we need it, blah, blah, blah. And oh, by the way, you know, the career fields are one of the one of the toughest career fields in the Air Force. And, and I really want you guys to help this guy's success, you know, and hopefully becoming one of us. So can you please help us out? And those are actually pretty successful where I've reached out because I'll go to superintendents too. I'll call SELs, I'll call group superintendents. I mean, that don't scare me. I'd, I'll pick up the phone and call a NAF chief, you know what I mean? Like whatever, um, to get it done. Um, and so I don't want them to think that, oh, I'm kind of screwed because if we picked you up and we see the, we see just on paper and um, that you're worth giving a shot, remember, we'll do our part two. Like we'll reach out, we'll get it done. I got a template that I'll send, you know, and send it via email, follow it with a phone call and then, you know, things like that. So another real quick thing too, is if you're in a cross trainee and you happen to, to do a pass test and I see your numbers are like a hundred pull-ups, a hundred sit-ups, blah, blah, blah. But I see that it's the, you know, logistics readiness, you know, PTL, who's a senior airman. I will 100% doubt the hell out of that pass test. Straight up. Why? And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And it's because you got to look at it. our standards of how we do the pass test and our grading criteria are, are different, right? Now, here's the thing. If you're at Joint Base McCord-Lewis, Cannon, Herbert Field, you know, or somewhere where there's an STS, if you want it that bad, go over there and ask them because they know the standard too. And there's plenty of time. They'll, operators will give you a pass test. They'll send Oh, they absolutely out. will. You know? So they'll do that. Go get that pass test from them and you'll get a real, real valuation, right? Instead of the, 
senior airman PTL who was probably on Twitter or, you know, TikTok while he was like one, two, three, four, five, 10, 20, you know, oh, 100, great job. Like, if, if that's if that's you, like, if you're in those areas, go out there and ask. If there's an RQS in that area, go out and ask, you know what I mean? Um, if you see some seer bubbles, go and ask, you know, see if they'll give one to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and um, if you if you don't know if there's an RQS or an STS in your area or something like that, then you know just let us know, and and we'll we can you know at least tell you if there's one in your area. We may not be able to link you up with somebody there because then that's putting somebody on the spot, but we can at least tell you if there's one in the area. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not, you can also check DuckDuckGo. You can check what, Trent? DuckDuckGo. I'm not saying the other word anymore. Oh. The G word. Oh. Ooh, now I'm really interested. I'm gonna have to get off of this and uh, talk about that. <laughs> so, well, those are pieces. I, I think as as we're coming towards the end of the time, and I don't want to keep everybody here forever. Um, I, th- I think we've we've covered some good ground, but I wanted to end with Rob. Obviously, uh, you know, I've known you for a long time, and and you're a chief and you're a leader, and so I just wanted to hit up the uh, you know the Robert Gutierrez leadership philosophies. And then, uh, you know, finish out with some advice for those uh, 18 to 25-year-olds out there looking uh, to join our ranks. Okay. Um, so so leadership is difficult, man. Um, it, it, it's tough. It's a learning game. You, uh, I learned it through trial and error. Like, I wasn't naturally born with it. I learned it. I watched. I observed. I tried some things here. It worked out. Some of them didn't. Some of them failed hugely, right? But a turnaround, refit, rekit. And just understand the environment, understand your people, understand what you're trying to do and get after it. You know, there's, there's a lot of, it should be able to, your leadership strategy and your, your theory or your, your way forward should constantly be evolving based on your scenario, right? Never, because that way, if you hold certain attributes or um, traits that you hold pure to yourself because they can be whatever. Um, and you don't, you don't change those because that's to you. Right. And you want your people to see the honest version of you. So, but if you add here and there approaches, the way you talk to people, we talk to operators differently from when I talk to support people. Right. Because yeah. we have a different mindset. There's a different way forward of how they think. I understand that for an, like an ST unit, you know what I mean? You can go to an operator and say, here, I need you to do X, Y, and Z, right? They already know the reason. You already know the reason that they're going to do it. You know that they're going to go out, you know, and, and get it done. You go to, so you get stuck with somewhere else. Like for instance, I had the, the special warfare human performance support group. I had two operators in that group. Two, everyone else, doctors, PTs, ATs, four Ns, you know, admin, four alphas, administrators, you know, a huge change from what I was used to. So understanding the, the environment, understanding my leadership as well, you know, because my group commander, my, you know, um, who sat in the seat with me, um, man, he was a doctor by trade. Completely different when you look at a, a 19 Zulu or Stowe Crow or or tech P officer, you know what I mean? He was a, you know, super smart guy, very different, comes from a medical background, 
they're different, right? And the way I supported him was different. The recommendations I gave him was different because I, I was trying to understand where he was coming from and what he was trying to do. So I had to change it, but never break, breaking off my baselines, right? Um, sometimes you have to be a little bit more aggressive and instill that aggressiveness into getting to what you need to get done. Sometimes you pull it back, understanding the environment, you know, understanding the second, third order effects. If we do X um, and thinking outside the box for that. Um, so I always say, you know, you be you, you know, stick to your stick to your guns. You're going to make mistakes. It's inevitable. Nobody's perfect. And if they're expecting you to be perfect, then they're wrong themselves. They need to look at themselves, too. Um, you, you make some errors, you, you make changes, you make corrections, just like life. Things happen, man. You know, sometimes you make mistakes. you got to deal with the consequences and that's okay. You learn from those consequences. You move on and make yourself better. You should be continuously trying to make a better version of yourself um, because that better version of yourself keeps you happy, keeps you fit, keeps you mentally straight, which in turn is a better version for everyone else. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm real big on that, um, you know, through my own mistakes. I'm 41 years old and made mixed, you know, make mistakes and go, damn, you know, write it down, figure it out. Damn, damn it. You know, um, you know, because it, it comes out to that. And then um, because also, too, depending on your environment, you know what I mean? Um, you know, we, we have this piece in the Air Force, too. And, and this happens a lot. You'll see like personal egos and stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, I, I had this conversation with the air force about this. Um, and they were like, Hey, you, you made a quote about deployments. And I'm like, yeah, who cares? And they're just like, what? And I'm like, who cares if someone did one or a comparison in some instances, someone who was, who has 15, because there's, we have plenty of guys that, you know, probably peaches probably in double digits. You know what I mean? Uh, we have other guys that are up there high. And I look at it as this, not everyone in the Air Force gets an opportunity to deploy, but as long as the opportunity presents herself and they said, yes, I will go, I will do it. I value that in some instances more than others who the opportunity is always there and they just pick and choose, right? They're like, ah, I feel like going this year. Ah, I don't feel like going this year. You know what I mean? Oh, we'll do whatever. Um, now, nothing to take away from our dudes that have been busting their tails for years and hauling the mail. They've been going, getting after, but that's what they want to do, right? We 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 kind of put a, a, a stigma on that, like, oh, you didn't deploy, but I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, you still needed that troop for their function, what they were doing, because it's an internal, it's an integral part of the system that gets you out there, you know, that gets you to the fight, that gets you to the exit, transports, gets you the medical support, gets you the logistics, all these things. And that's a change of my leadership and mindset where I looked at it and I was like, because if I look at like my HPSG, some of them never even deployed and they've been in for like 12, 13 years. At first, I'm like, how did you get away from that? Like, what do you, yeah. you know, you're just dodging, dodging the run or whatever. And they're like, I just never got an opportunity and I've been volunteering. And I just never got to, I never got to do my skill set, my profession out there. And it like changed for me. Um, and when the opportunity arise, they were like, I'm ready to go right now. Well, let's send them, right? Let's get them going, right? Um, and I valued that more because that shows the character of the individual that even though they're not deploying, they're giving 100% effort in their job, where they're doing 
to support others that hopefully will or will go. Um, and that's why, like, man, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of support, man. Like, because you know, it's it's a soft truth, right? You can't do it without support. Perry dot. So it, it that kind of you know, and that falls back to the like internal traits of certain things that I hold very closely to myself um, to support others and, and get it out there and kind of change my mindset on leadership too. Um, you know, through some trial and error um, and figuring it out, you know, and get it done. So, but um, yeah. And then at the end of the day too, um, we're all human. Like everybody's human, man. You know, um, and leadership, man, if you have, if you have trust, if you understand your people and you give them the intent at every echelon where they're at, man, you're doing your best. Right. And especially like guy, chiefs, like chief, um, Petrus, um, myself, you know, Trent, we've been at the tactical level. So, you know, when you're trying to understand when you're given intent or, or trying to understand you'll build their trust because, Hey, you've been down there right now. Maybe it was some time ago, but you understand how to talk to them at the level talking at the next operational level, talking at the strategic level, and you build that, that trust and understanding to get it done. And those are like three key things in leadership um, that you need to understand. You know, you got to know rear six and you got to know his job that he's got rear security and you got to, you got to understand his viewpoint to the best of your abilities, communicate it and get it all the way at the line to point man. You know what I mean? And if you know that as a leader, you'll be all right. If you've communicated effectively, then you're going to get it all right. If everyone's in the same game plan, everyone's going in the right direction. It's when that communication breaks that the game plan changes. And when everyone's doing that linear crossing and crossing the road, and there wasn't that communication across the piece, that rear six is up to the line. And he's like, where's everybody at? And he knows he's, he's thinking he needs to go North, but his internal feelings like, man, I think I should go East. And then he goes East. Now everything's jacked up because you got to stop the halt, figure it out. Where'd rear six go? We got no security. What happened? You know what I mean? There's no communication. You're backing up, turn around, looking for somebody to catch up. And now you're buying the power curve. But if everybody knows and everyone's clearly, you communicated across the board, you know, and the game plan is set, you know, you plan the dive, you know, dive the plan, man, be good to go. Trust your people. Trust that they were going to do their job. Trust that they're going to know that they're, they're going in the right direction. So that's a, that's a small piece, but you know, with our time constraint too, it's, it goes, it goes deep, man. So there's a lot of things to it, you know, man, we might have to do a part three. Yeah. This is getting nuts out of control, out of control. Hey man, there's a really good piece out there. Um, for for individuals that are that are just in leadership positions even now um and it's it's relatively old it's 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 you know strategy but you know if you read um general dempsey's you know uh white paper on mission command there's a whole bunch right there and it's super helpful especially as an enlisted person trying to help and figure things out and you know, you want to guide your leaders to, to make the right decisions, give them the best recommendations. It's a good piece. Like if you think about it. Um, and then uh, on the last thing, man, um, real quick, um, this whole piece, you know, I, I appreciate your guys' time. I appreciate the opportunity to come out here. Um, you guys know that, you know, Big Air Force asked me to do a bunch of stuff. You know, I honestly, I pick and choose which ones I want to do, depending on if it affects my work life and personal life and stuff like that. 
Um, but this one was super awesome. Um, cause what we were talked over, you know, it, it's tough talking, telling your own story cause it sucks sometimes cause you got to relive it and it blows, you know what I mean? Cause it comes and bites you. Um, but then we went over like, you know, the resilience piece and how that works. And, you know, like, thank, thank God for guys like Kevin Edgerton to help me out. Cause I mean, have, he just gave me a damn good kettlebell strength and mobility workout that I've been trying to change to for my jujitsu game. Um, cause I know Aaron's going to, um, next time I see him over here, he's going to come over and I'm like, mm, you sure you want some young Padawan? Um, so, and then, uh, also, you know, like on the resiliency piece, that, that stuff has helped me out too, but like bow hunting and moving on in my life and guys that like, like Jake Thompson at danger close outdoors that, you know, helped me get into bow hunting and understanding it and, and being a better version of me. And, 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 uh, and then also, um, man, my teammates too, like across the board since day one, you know what I mean? Um, you know, we got a guy named, we'll, we'll just call him mole. Cause he's still, you know, operational, but the fact that moles and E9 too, with me just makes me feel great. You know, it makes me feel good that my teammates have, who have showed me things across the way, um, to help me learn are also at the same place with me. Um, guys like peach, you know what I mean? I remember peach used to laugh at me on a whole bunch of stuff, you know, cause I was just this knucklehead, you know what I mean? Um, you know, guys like Beggs, you know, real, like you talk about real heroes, like America, I wish America knew, which they will eventually know about what we have and what we've been doing in the SW career field. We don't get a lot of street cred out there because everything's real big Navy and big army and, you know, um, and things like that. But we have some of the most lethal dynamic killers in the world that have been in our organization for years hauling the mail. We just happen to be cool with the fact that we're really quiet about it, you know? Um, and there's a bunch of guys out there that haven't been there. I wish we can get their stories out, you know, on an unclassed level, you know, even our guys at the SMUs, man, those guys are cr crushing it. Straight killers, right? Nicest guys on the outside, but when it comes to profession, what they do for a living and how they execute, man, there is none better of, of a complete package. And, you know, those guys paved the way for us and we're trying to do the same for our younger generations. And, you know, I'm just super thankful and grateful for all that. Cause if I didn't have peach Sal, you know, Nick Beggs, Jamie, you know, all these dudes, you know, Ken, um, you know, Ken H, um, JD, you know, uh, groovy, things like that. Mueller, like my boys, like, like mule train wrecking house, dude, true leaders that built us and made people like me so I can be where I'm at. And, you know, all their tips and things that we're training, like kept me alive, you know, also places too, like, you know, like Darcy, you know what I mean? With, with uh, Rich Mason, that's a great leadership course where I learned that you learn how to survive there, man, in the worst, the worst spot. Fantastic. And the thing is, you know, it's not sexy, like, it ain't this sexy TDY location or whatever. You will get the best leadership and hardness training out of that place that you could ever imagine. It will make you, <laughs> it's like a Bulgarian bag. It'll make you a man. You know what I mean? It'll dig it out of you, you know, um, and force it out and you're going to learn it. Um, and it's a fantastic place. So, um, cause if you ever notice, like a lot of, for instance, in, at least in our world, Air Force Cross recipients are all Darcy graduates, all of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, Rich is a psycho. You know? So, but I appreciate you guys' time, man. I love you guys, and and I appreciate it. And uh, let me know if you need anything. And uh, if they have any questions or whatever, kick them my way. Um, They got a little bit of scoop on the MFM stuff. And uh, we're looking at every package, man. We're trying, you know, but we have to be selective because it's a selective career field. I, I hate to be like this, but I literally want only the best. As, yeah. as you should. <laughs> no, I, I, and I think people get that. And we're not saying you have to be, um, you know, at the graduation or, or whatever. You don't come in as... as that person but you have to have that mindset of being the best and being competitive just like you were talking about with api and all of this stuff like if you're sitting across from nfl guys your mindset should be i'm gonna beat you you know it might not be what's gonna happen but um man i really appreciate you coming out and um and and sharing your your story and you know your your wisdom i don't want to even want to say that out loud because i'm gonna catch flack for that at work um but yeah 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 that's fair uh, everybody, thanks for listening and um, train hard, earn each breath, go out there, uh, reach out to a recruiter for all the questions that we can't answer, and we'll catch you next time. Later. All right, Jared, you still here? <laughs> <laughs>